Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today we are talking with Tara Barrett. Tara is one of our regular co-hosts and works with me at the Heritage Foundation, and today it's a bit of an overview of some of the projects that we've been working on over the past little bit, including virtual museums and our Memory Mug Ups program. Tara, welcome to the show. Hi, Dale. Thanks for having me. It's nice to have you, Tara. I, I miss you when I don't see you every <laughs> five days of the week. <laughs> <laughs> so you just had to have me on the radio show as well. I had to well. have you on the radio show as well, yeah. Um, so welcome. So uh, I want to start off today talking a little bit about the Virtual Museums of Canada program. This is a, a program that we have gotten some funding from, from the Canadian Museum of History. And you're working on a project that grows out some of uh, that grows out of some of your previous work in the town of Windsor, which we've talked about on this program uh, a couple times before, I think. So tell us a little bit about the Virtual Museums of Canada program and what you're doing. Sure. Well, I guess the Virtual Museums of Canada program is actually an investment program. So uh, it's run through the federal government, and it's kind of a partnership um, where they, I guess. Uh, meet or partner with community groups in order to bring uh, new material or new exhibits to a national or even an international audience. So local museums can put up some of their exhibits online and then people from all over the world can access those exhibits and have a look. Okay. So uh, this is, a, uh, like you said, an investment program, a funding program that we've, we've uh, availed of. And uh, the, uh, the work that we're putting online is about the merchants of Main Street in Windsor. So for people who maybe aren't familiar with the, the, the brief history of, of Windsor, where, where is Windsor and what is its kind of origin story? Sure, well, I guess uh, Windsor is in central Newfoundland, um, and it's part and parcel now of Grand Falls, Windsor. So Grand Falls was a mill town which kind of started in the early 1900s. Um, a mill was built in 1909, I do believe. And uh, as part of that, where it was a company town, everything was kind of um, done through the company. So the houses were built and the workers could live in those houses. There was social programs done through the company. Um, now, Grand Falls Station, which was a railway station that ran through what is now Windsor or the Windsor section of Grand Falls, Windsor, um, kind of sprung up. So the station was there and they were bringing materials back and forth for the mill. Um, workers were coming through there. And so as part of that, um, this community grew up there. So Windsor kind of established itself as, um, I guess, just across the tracks from Grand Falls. And um, as part of that, um, merchants came and these merchants kind of came from all over, um, not just all over Newfoundland, but all over the world. Uh, like there were people from uh, merchants from China, from Poland, from uh, Germany, Ireland, just kind of all across the world. And they they settled in Windsor and they set their shops kind of just across from the railway station. Initially, they were supposed to be on the street just behind the railway station. So their um, I guess their fronts wouldn't be facing the railway station, but it seemed to make a lot more sense to put their fronts facing the railway station and get all that local traffic. Right. So the the town grew kind of in parallel to Grand Falls, Windsor. Grand Falls, Windsor was the planned company town. All the merchants who had properties in uh, High Street uh, in, in Grand Falls were kind of, I guess, company approved yes. merchants. So very, very Anglo kind of uh, yeah, community. Yeah, there was a couple yeah. very Anglo uh, companies there. Um, 
the royal stores. Uh, yeah, so like very, very English stores that were, yes, company approved. Company approved. And so all the merchants then who who were not company approved, and, and those tended to be more ethnic uh, merchants, I guess we could say, um, some of the, the, the Jewish merchants or whatnot who were not permitted to, to open properties uh, in Grand Falls, they opened up in this kind of growing commercial district across, literally uh, kind of across the tracks from, from the, the other town. Um, and so these two towns kind of had a, a separate but linked history. And, and I know we've dealt with the Grand Falls Windsor uh, Heritage Society for a number of years on, on different projects. We did some digitization work with them, digitizing the work of Hiram Silk, which is a great collection. You can go on the digital archives at Memorial and listen to some of that material. Um, but a lot of the historical work that Grand Falls Windsor had done had really focused on Grand Falls because they, they kind of had the better preserved history not necessarily the better history but they had more stuff yeah well I guess they there was actually a a mill photographer so there was somebody hired by the company to take photographs so there's hundreds and thousands of photographs of Grand Falls in its heyday of the mill of people working so yeah there there's certainly lots of material for Grand Falls and Certainly, a little bit less, yeah. definitely for Windsor. And it, it's it's kind of an interesting commentary on on how history in general gets written. You know, the 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 merchant history, the established class history, is the history that kind of gets preserved. You know, because they did have, um, they had more formalized records. They had a, a, a photographer on staff, as you said, and they have quite a, a remarkable photographic collection there. But it meant that all this other stuff that was happening across the, the tracks didn't quite get preserved in the same way. So we'd been we've been having chats with them for ages, and uh, I had said, you know, maybe maybe a project in in Windsor would be good. And, and eventually, they they came back to us and said we would like to do something in Windsor. So talk to me a little bit about the the preliminary uh, research uh, that went into collecting some of these uh, hitherto undocumented stories in Windsor. Sure. Well, I guess back in the fall of uh, 2016, uh, in September, uh, we'd met with Grand Falls Windsor, the Heritage Society, and in particular Audrey Burke out there, and just had a chat about, you know, what they, what material they were interested in, what, what they were interested in focusing in on Windsor, and merchants came up, and that Main Street history came up. Uh, so in 2017, I went out to Grand Falls Windsor for a week, and... Um, I think I did a series of 17 or so interviews uh, with local people and just recorded those stories. So we sat down and did one-on-one interviews. And they, the, the, the people uh, varied. They were either from Grand Falls or Windsor. Um, one of the women I sat down with, her father was uh, Herman Munch, and so he owned a shoe shop on uh, Main Street. So kind of, uh, they were all local people who kind of grew up in the area, knew the area, and they told their memories of the different shops and of walking down Main Street and of how it looked, especially in kind of like the heyday, the 50s, the 60s, um, the buses that lined the street. And by buses, I don't mean um, city buses. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> a bus in uh, Windsor was a, a family-owned car usually. I, I'm not sure if there's a special license. Some people have said, yes, there was definitely a special license, but it's not 100% clarified. But it was a family-owned <laughs> car. I'm sure there was no special license. <laughs> I'm sure they were just running cars. Probably. <laughs> but there was a, fa- like a family-owned car, and what would happen is that car would run from Main Street in Windsor to High Street in Grand Falls and would take shoppers back and forth. Um, it would also take people, uh, like, their lunches. So if your father worked in the mill, you could go down on Main Street and, you know, hand 
your lunch, the basket lunch over, and the cab or the taxi would, uh, or the bus, I should say, would take it over to Grand Falls and drop it off. Yeah, it's an interesting example. It's one, one I haven't kind of thought of before, but sometimes when I'm doing oral history workshops with people, I, I will say, uh, don't make assumptions about what people are talking about. And I, and I think if you were just kind of overhearing a conversation with people from Windsor and they were talking about buses, you would automatically assume that you were thinking of something like a school bus or a city bus, but that was not what the buses were in that particular context. So yeah, it's a good kind of example to use. So, you know, if you, when you're doing oral history to ask some questions, like what does that mean? Like what does a bus actually look like? Because it's not a bus in a normal it's, sense. It's not a bus. And some great stories came out of that. There was a story about... Um, one of the men that I interviewed, his father uh, used to uh, run the buses, and he was dating, I guess, uh, this man's mother at the time. But because he had a contract, he would uh, take sisters from, uh, I think, Grand Falls into a school, so that he was driving them back and forth. Um, so John Connor's mother would actually, her and a couple of friends, would hang onto the back of the bus <laughs> and go for a ride so that they could get a ride from one town to the other because they weren't allowed in the bus with the sisters, of course, so. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of the, some of the preliminary research, I guess. So now this is a new project that you're working on uh, for the Virtual Museums of Canada, and it is a, a series of stories, correct? That's, that's how the website will kind of be structured. There'll be a, a series of stories all about uh, the, the people and the businesses of, of Grand Falls. So t- tell me a little bit about how the Virtual Museum will be structured when you when you go online eventually and look at this project what will it what will you see and what will it look like sure uh, so I guess when you go online uh, to virtual museums of Canada there's two types of stories so we're doing a community story uh, so when you go into those community stories there's um, an introduction page or a page that kind of just starts and explains what this particular exhibit or story is about so that'll just explain some of that background story um, you know a little bit of the back background history on Grand Falls and Windsor and Main Street. Um, and then after that, you'll see kind of a listing on the left-hand side, and you can go through all of these different stories. And so the stories that we're looking to tell are going to be kind of focused on particular uh, business owners or particular merchants. So um, I think there's about 10 or so particular merchants that are just going to have little stories about them and about their stores and about people's memories about those particular stores. Uh, so one, for example, is the Bashas. And the Bashas owned the Cozy Chat, which was kind of like um, a diner. You could go in, you could get your, your ice cream soda, you could sit down and um, I think red, uh, red booths and, and, you know, there was also little stools at the counter. Um, but they also owned the Vogue Theatre. Um, so the Bashas were a Lebanese family, actually. Um, so I'm actually looking for a bit more information about that. So this week, I'm going to head out to Windsor and uh, chat with the Grand Falls Windsor Heritage Society and look for a little bit more information about some of these merchants that we uh, have some information about and some memories, but not necessarily, you know, all the stories that we need to have. So, and I think that's an, an important part of this this project uh, with the virtual museums is that it, it's not just uh, you know dealing with archival research. You're actually going out into the community. You have a partnership with that community, and you're you're collecting new material that will that will end up being part of this exhibit. Yeah. So I guess um, I'm going to go out and uh, meet with the community and have a have a chat about what's going to go online, what material um, should also go online, and then also have a look through, uh, of course, their their archive 
and have another chat with several more people and do some interviews. Right. So now you have a list. I know you've been working on a preliminary list of stories that you're going to be uh, doing some research on for, for Windsor. Do you want, you want to kind of go through what some of those are? You talked about the bashes. What are, what are some of the other uh, stories that will be components of the, of the website? Uh, so I guess the, it's going to be structured uh, alphabetically. So it's going to start talking about the intro and the main street and then uh, move on to that kind of the transportation history, so those buses and, of course, the train station. And then it'll move through uh, the merchants uh, alphabetically. So the Bashes would be first. Um, and then it comes to Becker's. And so Becker was, uh, he, he owned a jewelry shop. And he, um, Ernst Becker, he came from Germany. Uh, and he met a local girl, and they got married. And he opened up a teeny tiny shop. Uh, several people have mentioned that it was perhaps the smallest shop in Newfoundland. <laughs> uh, some people have said you could basically, you know, put your hands out and touch either side. Uh, but I guess he didn't necessarily need a big space. He was selling jewelry and he was repairing jewelry and um, and actually clocks as well. So it'll kind of move through. Um, I sat down for an interview with his wife and uh, she talked about kind of how how he set up his first shop. Um, how it was a big drafty place and then they finally decided with the help of another uh, local merchant George Stewart they were like this is perhaps too big of a space for a jewelry shop so they moved into this tiny little space that they built kind of between two other buildings so it'll move um, through those some of those other stories um, the the Chow's uh, so um, Mr. Chow owned uh, the Globe restaurant he initially, he came from China um, as a laundryman in, he came to Port Basque, and then um, he kind of made his way to Grand Falls, Windsor and started working at the Globe. Um, it was the Globe Cafe at the time. And then he, he got a bit of money together and he was able to purchase the Globe restaurant and uh, establish himself that way. And he's another person who married a local girl and they had a big family. And uh, I, I didn't sit down for a full on interview, but I had a chat with his daughter and she sent some great photographs. So Yeah. And, and, yeah. does, and does a, a version of that family business still exist? Yes. So one of Chow's sons um, owns Wayne's World. Um, which is kind of a, a diner. Like you can go in and you can have your cheeseburger and whatnot. And it's it's Wayne's World after uh, you know that pretty uh, yeah. popular movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so Chow's then who who's next? Uh, so after that is the Coens. So they're a pretty well known yeah. name across, across the province. Newfoundland, yeah. But what might not be known is that uh, the Coens started in Windsor, and they started um, the I guess the. The family of Cohen's Boyd Cohen, who's still alive today, he's in his late 80s. He might be 90 now. I think he's still in. I think he's in his late 80s. Um, but his family started Cohen's. So his grandfather, who came from, well, was originally from Poland, originally from Ukraine, moved to England, then to America, then ended up in Grand Falls, Windsor, and he ended up with his meeting, meeting his wife, who was uh, from Poland, but. Essentially, everyone kind of ended up in Newfoundland, and they all met up. And so, uh, the Cohens were Jewish merchants, and they started Cohens. It was S. Cohens and Sons, which was originally a dry goods store, um, and that developed on Main Street. And then um, some of the older sons moved away. Uh, Boyd ended up in the business because he he went away for a year. He did a year at Mount A. 
he didn't particularly like it. Apparently, they didn't particularly like him. <laughs> <laughs> he came back, and his aunt said, Boyd, are you, are you going back to school? And he said, not if I can help it. <laughs> so and so he ended up in the family business. And his aunt was really good at merchandising and at uh, the women's clothing. And Boyd kind of uh, branched out and developed this furniture business, which is now, of course, seen across the province. And so Cohen's, uh, again, started in Windsor, expanded. And when Boyd was in charge, they, they kind of expanded all across the province. And then in the 90s, he sold off. Uh, the Cohen's name. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because it kind of went through this this transition. It was a dry goods store, as you said, and then and then it was kind of a fashion place. It was place. a fashion it was place. The, the snazzy spot, I think, as one of the ladies yeah. said. Yeah. Yeah, which is uh, kind of interesting because when we think of Cohen's today, it's, of course, we associate it just with furniture, right? And, and, they're, and they're still, that's still a going business mm-hmm. uh, in Newfoundland, the furniture, furniture side of things. Yeah. Okay. And then um, one of the other businesses is Connors. Uh, and that's another one that I need a bit more background information about. Um, but Connors was another kind of dry goods store. Um, there's a great story about, uh, you know, how you go in and, and buy your meat or your material and whatnot. And a man would kind of um, get the meat up with a meat hook and pick out the right, uh, I guess, pick of salt beef. Um, but again, that's another one that I need a bit of background information on. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll do some more research on that when I get out in Grand Falls, Windsor. Yeah. So, so maybe that's a good segue into, into what you're doing now. And we can talk a little bit about uh, the, the work we're doing in communities generally outside of this particular project. You're going to Grand Falls, Windsor. It's Salmon Fest, yes. uh, which is a, more than just a concert. I think people outside of Grand Falls, Windsor kind of know it as a, a music concert, but it really is a week-long kind of celebration of local uh, culture and heritage and sporting. You know, like I think that's how it got started as a salmon fundraising for the salmon, uh, the salmon rivers or something I like that. I think it was a bit, I think as opposed to a, a sporting thing, I think it was um, people concerned about the environment oh, and yeah. concerned about the, the salmon. Conservation, yeah. salmon conservation. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that's a piece, of, that's, a, that's a whole other show. Yeah, and I don't <laughs> I know much point, about yeah. that, that at all. So uh, you're going out and there is going to be a, a kind of a memory mug up that's going to be taking place, maybe a little bit different from how we normally run a memory mug up, but but where and what is happening with that particular event? Uh, so it's, uh, I guess, a bit more of a staged event than what we tend to do with memory mug ups, uh, but it's going to take place in the classic theater in Grand Falls, Windsor. Um, it'll take place, I guess, uh, at 2 p.m. on Friday, uh, July, whatever tomorrow is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's going to be basically, uh, I think there's six people who are going to be up on stage and uh, sharing their memories about Grand Falls, Windsor, growing up in Grand Falls, Windsor, and all those things that uh, I guess people have come to associate with the town. And I'm sure because it's Grand Falls, or it's uh, Salmon Fest weekend, um, there'll be lots of people home yeah. and they'll... I'm and sure we did this last that. year in yes. in, uh, in Grand Falls in the same theater, and it was great. Like lots of, we, I was surprised at the, the turnout, and, and lots of people had great stories, very funny stories about growing up in the community. Yeah, so that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. Um, I, I want to talk about the the uh, this idea of memory mug ups because it is a tool that we do use at the Heritage Foundation for. Um, sort of for collecting stories, but also for identifying who the good storytellers are in communities. So you're going to be doing this memory event in in Grand Falls, but we also just did one uh, fairly recently in Hillview. 
with um, uh, with two groups, I guess the local, this, uh, the Southwest Arm Historical Society, and then also the Fifty Plus Club, the random uh, um, sound kind of uh, Fifty Plus Club there, Hillview Fifty Plus Club. Um, that particular one was based on um, schoolyard, schoolyard memories, school memories. Um, for people who aren't familiar with the concept, what is a mug up? What is that? What does that phrase "mug up" mean? Uh, well, I guess the phrase "mug up" is uh, a Newfoundland term for a cup of tea, usually a cup of tea in the woods. Uh, so it's just it, it is what it is. It's a it's a mug up. So it's a usually a cup of tea, and so we've taken this phrase and kind of. Uh, the work kind of previously done by uh, Martha McDonald in At Labrador Institute. Yeah. yeah. And so she was doing kind of community um, events around Labrador and calling the mug ups. And so uh, we've taken that idea and we've uh, expanded it and we're calling the memory mug ups. And essentially it's getting people in a community together to chat. Um, like you said, it's a great way to identify who are great speakers, who might have good stories to um, you know, go back and sit down and do a one-on-one interview. Um, but I guess one of the main components for a memory mug up is food. <laughs> you need to have a cup of tea so, and you need to have a little bit of a snack. Yeah. So Tara, Tara and I just came back. We were, in, we were in Hillview. We got invited to go do this memory mug up on school days and, and school yard memories. And um, man, the the food, they, 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 stuffed us full of food so it's about two hours from St. John's we drove out uh, we did our mug up they had a meeting they had their regular uh, kind of 50 plus club meeting and then and then they had this like steak barbecue potluck buffet <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed we just didn't like pass out in the back room we had so much food it was it was great yeah the food is uh, the food and fellowship is really an important part of the mug up mug up program <clears throat> um, and with that particular one we, we heard some interesting stories in a way it was kind of typical because not not everyone is a great storyteller. People are some people are shy about speaking in public, but there were some. There were a couple people there who were really uh, funny, good storytellers. There was one uh, very lovely lady from Random Island, uh, from around the Weybridge area in Random Island, who who had a very funny stories. She was she was definitely the highlight for me uh, anyway of the day. And she had she had. I remember the, this, the one story she told about the um, the piano rock. Uh, which is such a, a typical kind of childhood story in a way, like about how they, there was a flat rock kind of halfway uh, to school, and it was where they would sit down and pretend to play the piano. <laughs> this was their, their game without any toys. You know, they, they would sit and play. And people had other kinds of memories about... Um, one, one fella, stuff in the chimney. Stuff in the <laughs> chimney, yeah. That was one. And we'd heard that before. I had heard a story like that in uh, Pilly's Island. When I was out in Pilly's Island, there was a fellow there who told a story about how he would get up on the roof of the, the two-room school. And when they wanted a day off, they would drop turfs down the chimney and bung up the chimney. And, and I can't remember what they put in the chimney in, uh, in Hillview, but it was a similar kind of story that they would uh, do whatever they could to... To get out of school. To get out of school. To back up the yeah. chimney, yeah. And people having memories of having to bring wood uh, to the school, you know, and, and uh, provide splits and, and stories about, you know, the teachers who had come in from away. Uh, quite, quite, a num- quite a few uh, people who had taught as well. Yes. That was the other interesting thing. There were quite a few people who had been teachers, um, some, of, some of whom had very little uh, teacher training. Uh, maybe a summer, yeah. if that. I think there was one man who said, "Did you have any training? No, not at no, all. I just they needed to teach." I was a year said, older. That a was year it. older. You're going to go back. And you're going to teach in that school. Yeah, it's a little bit of a different, uh, different time. A different time. Yeah. 
Um, and we're, we have another one of these coming up. We're, we're going to be doing a memory mug up on Bell Island. Uh, and that's going to be, a, I, I think, an interesting um, an interesting event. We're going to try and get Neil Burgess, I think, to come in on the program and talk about the Shipwreck Preservation Society. They, they have a Virtual Museums of Canada exhibit as well. So they're going through a very similar process to what you're going through uh, with uh, Windsor. And we are helping them out do the community outreach piece. So. Um, we're going to be heading off, I think on July 20th, we're going to be heading off to Bell Island and uh, talking about uh, shipwrecks and, and in particular the, the World War II torpedoing um, uh, of uh, uh, iron ore uh, carriers there off, uh, off Bell Island, which is quite a dramatic, a dramatic story. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what kinds of stories um, uh, people come out with when we go, when we go over there. Um, do you have any tips or tricks for people who are collecting stories? What kinds of questions you might ask? Or how do you get interesting stories from people? I guess when you're doing, um, in, when, in particular when you're doing interviews, uh, it's definitely best to ask uh, open-ended questions. So questions that don't necessarily lead somebody to one answer or another. Um, especially if you're doing an interview with somebody who's perhaps nervous. If you ask a question that they think they know what you want to hear, they'll tell you what they think you want to hear because they're trying to be helpful and they're trying to be you know to tell you the information that you want but if you if you ask kind of an open-ended question you ask somebody to describe how they felt um, describe a particular situation then you'll get perhaps a better more rounded story than you know yes or no answers or um, short little tidbits of information which might be um, useful but not necessarily a story or something that um, you know particularly captures your attention right yeah yeah. Um, I also love to make use of silence, which is something you definitely don't want on the radio. No. Um, <laughs> but for oral history interviews, I love long silences. Just letting people uh, fill in that gap and, and provide a bit more information. Because sometimes when we're talking, especially on radio, you you want to have this constant flow of communication back and forth. But in, but in oral history, just letting that question... Hang there. Hang there for a bit. Somebody will fill in that information, <laughs> or fill in that silence with more information and perhaps a great story. Yeah, yeah. So um, you're you're going to be doing the uh, the the memory event at the theater in um, in Grand Falls, in Windsor. Grand Falls, Windsor, and then we're going to go to to Bell Island, and we're doing some some work there. Um, I, I know that you're also going to be doing some work on digital storytelling, hopefully coming up, like collecting stories and and uh, and uh, putting people together, people's stories together with images. Um, so that's a that's a program that you're going to be kind of developing once once the virtual museums project is up and running. That's that's the next thing on your plate, I guess. Is yes. It? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the digital storytelling. Um, ICE kind of combines some things that were asked for or some things that people tend to look for when they call the Heritage Foundation. So it combines, um, you know, people's love and interest and, um, I guess, need to kind of preserve photos and preserve stories and putting those things together. So what we're going to do is we're going to help community members um, digitize some photographs. And with those photographs, um, develop a story 
that, uh, you know, could be a personal story or a community story, but something that stands out and that these photographs accent and, you know, complement. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I love old photographs. Uh, there's just some great stuff out there. I, I, I was having a chat the other day with Diane Carr uh, in Spaniards Bay, who we've had on this, this show. And I think in August, we're going to be going out and doing some work out in Spaniards Bay, helping that community collect photographs. And and what Diane was saying is, you know, they have a pretty good collection of, of photographs, but a lot of what they have are are old photographs. I think, and I think this is a, an interesting thing. When people think of heritage, they they think of things. Oh, that's what my great grandparents did. So they might have a lot of photographs from the early twentieth century, but what we don't necessarily have a lot of photographs of are like the seventies and eighties. You know, and and we want to see some of those photographs because that becomes a, a, a historical documents as they they become historical documents as well. And I think that's kind of an interesting point, especially in today's kind of social media world where everything might be online, but it might not necessarily be backed up because people are putting photographs online, but not necessarily keeping copies to preserve. That's, uh, I think that's something that's going to become interesting in the next few years when people look back. If people want to reach you at the Heritage Foundation, how do they contact you? Uh, So my email is Tara, T-E-R-R-A, dot hfnl at gmail.com or my phone number is uh, 739-1892 extension 5. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our heritage broadcast assistant is Natalie Dignam, in partnership with the Conservation Corps Newfoundland and Labrador ECHO program. We would love to know what you think of the show. If you have a question or a suggestion for a future program, leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page, email livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com, or tweet us at HFNLCA. Thanks for listening. <laughs>